Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Michael Malone, CEO and founder of SmallStep, a certificate lifecycle management platform that's raised $26 million in funding. Michael, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks, Brad. Good to be here. Yeah, excited to chat. So to start us off, could you just share a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, sure. So yeah, hi, I'm Mike. I'm a software engineer. That's my background. Pretty much all of my career, I've been bouncing between startups across you know, a bunch of different verticals. I've done consumer web various SaaS and platform plays. Most recently, I was CTO at a company called Bettable that was a platform for online gambling. So yeah, software engineer, architect. I like to say my happy place is distributed systems architecture. So I like building large software systems and building teams that are building large software systems. And you know, that that goes back like a long ways. Like, uh, you know, I was a nerd as a kid. I went to college for business information technology. So sort of a hybrid between computer science and management science. My dad was a, like a real engineer. My mom used to joke that engineer is not a career, it's a diagnosis. So I think she might've been onto something. And are you surprised that you ended up becoming a founder and you're a CEO today? Would you have had any idea that this would be the case five or 10 years ago? I'm not surprised, like not, I don't want, I'm trying not to sound like I have any sort of hubris, only that like, I've always wanted to do this, you know, like as a kid, like I was into technology, I'd follow the goings on in Silicon Valley and I knew what I wanted to be. So I think I am excited to be in this position, but like it was always my goal. And two questions that we like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder and entrepreneur. First one is, what CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? Right. Good question. And like, it was a funny one because I don't generally look up to CEOs, I guess, which is sort of a weird thing. But I like thinking about that, like, I think there are two. One, and this is maybe a weird one, is Satya Nadella at Microsoft. I just think like that company has been through so much and the execution there under his leadership has been so incredible. I read an article the other day where they're sort of describing what Microsoft tells their managers. And it was like, uh, like the number one goal is create clarity. After that, great leaders generate energy. And then after generating energy, you deliver success iteratively, regardless of circumstances. And I was like, it's so right and so succinct. I don't know. I just think that company is doing really well. And then I have another one, maybe even like a little more off center, uh, Jim Farley at Ford. Again, I think like they're executing so well through a challenging time. And I like cars and uh, Ford isn't maybe like the most exciting car company, but they've been delivering like exciting new products in the EV space. And then the, the way that he restructured the company to make that happen, I think was smart and uh, a bold move. So respect to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun watching Microsoft, especially the last few months. Yeah, the fact that anyone's even talking about a challenger to Google, I didn't know if that would ever happen. Yeah. They really are challenging Google search. 
we'll see, I guess. I, uh, I did try Bing the other day and it was a, still a pretty bad experience, but just the fact that we're even having the conversation, I, I think that's pretty fun and pretty exciting. I think I like picturing Microsoft as the upstart trying to disrupt Google. It's uh, it's pretty funny. Absolutely. Like who'd have thought we'd be here, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Pretty cool times. Now let's talk about books. Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you? And this can be one of the classic business books or just a personal book that really influenced how you view the world. Two of my favorite books for similar reasons are On the Road by Jack Kerouac and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter Thompson. And I think the reason that I like them is because they capture a perspective and a view of the world that's so different, but also not wrong. So those two, I think in the fiction space are like two of my favorites. And then a book that has been important to me in the way I think is A Theory of Justice by John Rawls, which is actually a philosophy book. Nice. I've not heard of that, but I'll have to check it out. And on uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, how does that compare to the movie? I've not read the book, but I did watch the movie a long time ago. How does that compare? The book's better, Brett. The book's better. I feel like the book's always better, right? Yeah. I've never uh, I've never seen a book. I read a book that wasn't better than the movie that comes out. It's a good movie, though. Johnny Depp, you know. <laughs> I think I watched that when I was like 14 years old and my brain couldn't process what I was seeing. It's a yeah. pretty gnarly movie for a 14-year-old kid. I have to rewatch it again now. Now let's talk about the company. So can you tell us more about the origin story and just the early days of Small Step? Sure. I mean, like a lot of founding stories, Small Step formed out of you know, my experiences as an engineering leader and as someone who's like building complex distributed systems. And the gap that I felt personally firsthand is that securing distributed systems in the context of, you know, modern software development. So think like DevOps, CICD, continuous deploy, engineers on call, iterative development, but, you know, Kanban and like sort of that pace and scale of development, microservices, like layering on security and having like real strong security guarantees and compliance guarantees without breaking all of that sort of modern technology and modern philosophy was really challenging and unsolved. So that was the impetus for the company. How do we secure these modern, complex, fast-paced software systems without taking away all of the desirable characteristics of the technologies and the philosophies that are going into them. And then can you talk us through the solutions and, and use cases of the product? Sure. I mean, the foundation, we are open core. So the core technology that we offer is a certificate management tool chain. So X509 certificates and SSH certificates, I mean, this is technology that predates the web, right? So like it goes back a long, long time, but from a first principles perspective, it does a thing well, like, oh, you you can critique sort of around the corners. It's this like Baroque syntax and format and stuff, but fundamentally certificate based authentication is a powerful capability tab. And it's sort of like a foundational identity dial tone for a large distributed system, having these certificates issued out everywhere. So the core technology, our core open sources are all around certificate management. And then our commercial offerings are building around that and delivering sort of the enterprise level capabilities around identifying things that need to be secured, seeing when there's a lapse in policy or compliance in your security program, 
assigning tasks and noticing where, uh, you know, really giving that observability, visibility, and summary view. It's a platform for managing trust. And can you talk us through some of the customers that you have and just really talk us through what you're able to do to capture their attention and, and to get them to start using the product? Yeah. As a security company, we have a whole lot of NDAs. So I have to be really careful about naming specific names, but we have, you know, in open source, you can go and look at our GitHub issue tracker. You know, you can see some names there, but we have fintechs, automotive, large startups, publicly traded companies who are using our technology, both commercial and open source. In terms of how we have attracted those customers, I think the core to our marketing has been one, like be ourselves and be authentic and solve a real problem that people have a real need for, you know, deliver this technology that is actually needed in the world. And then like talk about it and teach it and explain it to people. And like really the way we've been doing that is through our content marketing program. Um, So we have our open source community and that is a big sort of funnel into our commercial offering. But we is sort of adjacent to that. We have our content marketing program where, you know, we have folks internally who have really broad mandate to just write about what they're passionate about that's in this space that we're operating in. And that has been a tremendous asset for us because it turns out when you give people that sort of purview, uh, you get like really high quality content that's really interesting and informative and it gets shared and it gets searched and people find us that way. And are there any numbers and metrics that you can share that just highlight some of the growth and traction that you're seeing? High level, sure. I mean, we have millions of open source downloads, you know, on the order of like 10,000 sort of GitHub stars and We have tracking that indicates, you know, dozens of Fortune 500s are on our website, you know, reading docs for open source. In terms of commercialization, I can't get into like too many specifics, but, you know, we are selling six and beginning to sell seven figure deals. We have sort of scaled down and scale up. So we have a self-serve option. So people can, there's a free tier all the way up to a million dollars a year. And we have over a hundred customers on taking advantage of various scale offerings in on that platform. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now back to today's episode. And I think there's a lot of founders listening who are interested in running an open core company. What are some of the top things that you've learned doing so? And, and what advice would you have for them? Uh, don't. Um, it's, <laughs> I think, you know, that has been one of our greatest challenges. If we're talking about unsolved problems in the world, I'd say sustainable open source has been one of them, which is a a problem that we're really interested in. We actually just sponsored a guy named Filippo Velsardo, who is a core contributor to some Golang libraries, like low-level cryptography, X509 libraries that we use in our open source, largely because like he's also interested in this problem. So how do you build a sustainable open source ecosystem? I think from a business perspective, It is an asset. It can help, I would say, like purely objectively putting my like capitalist hat on. It's a marketing asset. 
And it's a feature for some enterprise customers to have an open source or an open core. One, because it de-risks from sort of a vendor lock-in perspective, even though they're unlikely to ever move off of commercial because, you know, enterprises value having a nectaring. But two, because they can contribute. So they can join a community and they can sort of be the change they want to see in the world when it comes to the software that they're purchasing. So it does have advantages, but the big challenges are like, you end up competing with yourself. So you run the risk of anchoring people from a pricing perspective at zero. So you have to be really thoughtful about how you commercialize and what you commercialize. And then, you know, maintaining open source is sort of thankless work, frankly. From a funnel perspective, I also kind of sometimes refer to open source as crappy product led because it sort of has some of the same characteristics as SaaS, like freemium, right? But with none of the bi-directional relationship and data that lets you actually like optimize and pull people into a commercialization funnel. So I love open source, right? I think it's like, it's an important part of our software ecosystem, but I will say that running an open core company is hard. And I'd love to talk a little bit about market categories. So is certificate lifecycle management, is that the category that you consider yourself to be part of today? And if so, how do you think about that category in the long term? Is the play for you to really transform and, and redefine that category? Or would this be a new category creation play at some point? I think it's one of those two things. A certificate lifecycle management category as it exists today does not really capture what we're doing. And, you know, that's why we exist because the traditional certificate lifecycle management category was all about like noticing certificates for your website expiring, maybe managing a small handful of certificates that you have for like internal stuff like VPNs and uh, Wi-Fi, maybe issuing certificates to like laptops, right? And we do all of those things. Like our technology is more than capable of doing all of those things. But the gap that we were really filling is like, hey, like people don't have just like a dozen internal certificates anymore. They have their Kubernetes and their service meshes and their databases and all their VMs and microservices and, you know, Kafka and Elkstack and all of this distributed Redis and like Kubernetes uh, at like multiple tiers, like your workloads in Kubernetes and then the the Kubernetes control plan and all, all of this stuff is using TLS, especially if you're sort of like pursuing a zero trust strategy, right? Like it's everywhere. So the pace and scale has changed, right? Like we're not talking about a dozen certificates that renew annually. We're talking about a million certificates that renew hourly or every five minutes even. So an order of magnitude difference in scale, I think is a different thing. It's a difference in kind. And I think that's, again, it's either a redefinition of the category or it is just a new category. And when it comes to things like analyst relations, is that something that you're actively working on and working towards and trying to redefine what this category could look like? Yeah, absolutely. We have a number of conversations like that that we've been engaged in. And uh, if anyone listening to this is interested in discussing that in more detail, yeah, drop me a line. Nice. I love it. Now, last couple of questions here for you. What excites you most about the work you get to do every day? I think we're like democratizing this really important technology. Again, like aside from the like pace and scale thing I was saying before, like this like certificate asymmetric cryptography, all this like security stuff seems like it's an area that a lot of smart software engineers like shy away from and maybe don't specialize in. It feels very Baroque and like obscure. And a lot of the tooling hasn't helped with that. 
So the fact that we're able to make this more accessible and reach a broader audience, I think it just feels really good. It, it feels like we're actually making a contribution to the security of the internet, you know, and that benefits everybody. So I'd say that that's, I think, what drives us. And let's zoom out into the future. Three years from today, what's the company look like? I think we're going bigger on this vision of, you know, how do we make sure that enterprises and large software systems and the internet as a whole is more secure and safer for everybody. So I think you can look forward to uh, pursuing uh, product vision in that direction, broadly speaking. Amazing. I love it. All right, Michael, we are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where should they go? Oh, man. Well, I guess not Twitter anymore. Our website. Follow our blog, smallstuff.com slash blog. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story, and talking about everything that you're building. This has been a lot of fun and super interesting, and wish you the best of luck in executing on this vision. Thanks, Brett. It's been awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. 